Hey everybody, welcome to AST Radio. Uh, this is your host Matt, and uh, I'm here today with the lovely Jen Kirkman. <laughs> She's laughing because Jen listens to the podcast, is that right? Yeah, I'm a faithful listener, but I just was laughing at the hey everybody because <laughs> it's, I it's, thought that it's was stupid. like put that in later. Oh, really? Yeah, so to sit here through it is kind of funny. <laughs> I probably should just record it once and just use it every time. But. I always wonder that, uh, when they announce like, uh, it's not going to be interesting, but some, there's some late night show I always watch. Oh, The Daily Show. Uh-huh. Do they record that every night or does he just insert like January? You know what I mean? Oh, the, yeah, that guy. I, I picture that guy comes in for about four hours, like a year. Or it whatever, makes like a hundred grand. Yeah. Oh, I want that. Okay. I know. I'm sorry. That'd I don't be mean, awesome. I don't mean to derail. Uh, that's okay. Um, all right. So uh, this has been people actually for months. People have been clamoring for a Jen Kirkman interview. That's not so. true. Is it? Do they email you privately? <laughs> I have gotten emails that you've seen on the board. I saw people. one, so that's why I want to be very specific. I think it if was there's more. more I'd love to hear about it. Oh, I that's fe- so great. I feel like there's been more than one, but maybe you're right. <laughs> um, so we're going to talk to Jen about uh, how she got into comedy. We might talk about Emerson a little bit because uh, dude, as I I'm ca- totally down. I can't stop talking about how we both went to Emerson. <laughs> <laughs> I really so do feel weird. like it's a weird, like I'm one of those guys now who's always talking about his alma mater, which is not, I'm not like that because I don't really give a shit. Like I have no, no it didn't help me at all in life. It <laughs> yeah. hurt me. It just, it's, I have no love. I mean, I, I, I remember it fondly, but I don't give them money. I'm not like, no, I gave them money. And then when, he, well, I mean, <laughs> oh, when yeah, I went, yeah, yeah. but then oh, like yeah. there's the young whippersnappers that are there now and they're mm-hmm. like, Hey, there's all this comedy stuff. Like, and I'm mm-hmm. like, I don't want to talk to you about it because I'm jealous and <laughs> also, <laughs> I'm not helping anyone. <laughs> okay, yeah. But that's I think that's the attitude that you have to take is like, you know, everyone behind me like you're not you're not getting any support. <laughs> like, well, I'm not going to call like, like Jay Leno didn't help us, right? right? right like he didn't right. do anything for Yet. us. <laughs> Let's not say anything bad about him. You Guys, don't know. Jay Leno listening. went to Emerson by the way. So did Keitlinger and Cross and well, he dropped out, but Dennis Leary, Stephen Wright. Stephen Wright, he did? Uh, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Um I know. Wow. Okay. I'm now I'm one up on you. How, what about uh, Anthony Clark? Didn't he go there? Oh yeah, that was what Boston Common was about. Right. With right, the right. best theme song ever. <laughs> wow. Waste your time. Like, what? Do you remember that no, club? Like, that gay club hit. That was the theme song. I swear to God. I thought it was like a Dave Matthews song. No, it was Wow. Waste your time. You know you're gonna be mine. Which is so funny for a man that tries to stay in the closet. It's like well, that's your theme song oh, for no, no reason to a show about college. <laughs> I think they changed it at some point. I re- distinctly remember a Dave Matthews song and, oh. and thinking that that Maybe was that's lame just too. What was playing in the background. It, that, it might have been that. Uh, we're gonna have to Google that. Table later. it. Oh, um, Google it. Table it. Is that <laughs> it's a new the website. New, is that the new Google? <laughs> Table dot com. <laughs> it <laughs> is all now. Info? All right, I'm gonna check that out. Um, someone please just post in the thread uh, what the theme song to Boston Boston Common was. <laughs> like, we don't even have to do it. They'll do it for us. Yeah. Those cool YouTube people. it. Yeah. So I'm just saying things <laughs> you, think that, you think it's on YouTube? Do you think Boston Common has made Over it to YouTube? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Um, so Cringe humor. Well, no. I'll check it out. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, they're more East Coast. I think they would kind of know. <laughs> Um, well, let's just, let's start there then. Okay. Um, well, you, you grew up in, uh, in Massachusetts. What town are you from? Needham. Needham, Massachusetts. But I have to say, if anyone, people have called me on this, people, one person probably, it is an affluent town, but I was not an affluent kid. Okay. So I just want people to know I'm not faking it. Yeah. Didn't you live like, uh, like adjacent to the golf course or something? On it, dude. On the golf course? That was my backyard. My dad was a greenskeeper. Okay. Yeah, that's that's kind of a cool. So you were like the kid in Caddyshack who was just like I was totally Noonan. Yeah. Except I was so like that's where everyone hung out. So when I would go with my high school friends, that I started mm-hmm. to hang out with the weirdos. Like I was also literally the girl from Freaks and Geeks. Like that is exactly my story. I've always wanted to write a show about growing up, mm-hmm. and it's literally that show. So I never could, and then it didn't do well. So <laughs> I, that's why I never will write anything because that's what it would be. But I was like the person that hung out with the weirdos, and mm-hmm. but I wasn't a bad kid. And they would all be like, let's go to the golf course. And then mm-hmm. they'd be like, the crazy greenskeeper has a gun. And that was my dad. <laughs> and so I would be like, can you just drop me off at home? And then that was pretty much what you happened were right every there. week. And yeah. you could come back if But I case... could never hang out with anyone. Yeah. 
Uh, okay, well, so, and you mentioned in, I think, a couple of weeks ago, we played a clip of you from the, the Paul F. Tompkins interruption mm-hmm. when you were talking about Morrissey being your best friend in high school. Yes. We uh, did not go to high school either. <laughs> right. <laughs> not literally best friends. <laughs> uh, it was sort of a metaphor. Mm-hmm. Um, if you didn't hear that, we'll go back and listen to it because yeah, it's, it's a great, it. it's just a lot of good stuff on that one. So I think you should hear it. But, uh, yeah, so you, you were, you were big into the Smiths. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were that kid, right? I was that kid. <laughs> dog. Here comes the I was dog. that kid. Kieran Smiths. Not okay. Depeche Mode, though, and not... Don't think you know me. What's the other one? Uh, <laughs> another one with the guy who hung himself. I don't like any of that stuff. Uh, in Excess? Uh, the other guy who hung himself <laughs> yeah, on purpose. Not... They had two bands. Uh, Kill Joy? Kill Joy? No, that's not... I don't know. Oh, no. It's a very mainstream band. Well, wow. Then I'm really out of it, because I don't remember... Um... You know the name. It's like as mainstream as you two. The guy was in it, and then he died, and then he had a uh, Joy Division. Oh, Joy. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But I was that kid that liked the Smiths, and uh, my sister got me into The Cure, and she started taking me to all the concerts. And mm-hmm. I would say, <laughs> this is so queer, but if you, if someone was like, who's your biggest comedy influence? I think it was Morrissey. <laughs> <laughs> Which is either lame because people that don't know me are like, well, she's not funny. Delete. I'm never listening. Or <laughs> if they are like, well, she's not as funny as Morrissey because I think he's a genius. But I think that kind of like, oh, I feel like I'm crying. I'm crying and I'm laughing. Yeah, That's sort yeah. of where my sensibility that I have nowhere near perfected has come from. That's what I mean. <laughs> I, th- I think Morrissey's really funny. I actually didn't really listen to any of that stuff until college. Uh, it's just I met my wife at Emerson and... Uh, she would like you. She was big into The Cure and The Smiths, and uh, and like when I heard "Girlfriend in a Coma," I was like, "Oh my god, that's the best song ever!" That's it's so funny. You yeah, know? it's like it's so weird, and it's so it sounds happy, but then it's about a sad thing, and that, that's that takes a sense of humor to do that. Yeah, and I think as you get older, you realize like now when I listen to some of their songs that are so dramatic, like mm-hmm. "Oh Mother," I can feel the <laughs> soil falling over my head, and the sea wants to take me, the knife wants to cut me, like. <laughs> And you just laugh. You're like, oh my God, it's this adult is being so overdramatic about yeah. romance. But when you're young, you think that is how you'll always feel. Right. So it makes sense. But then when yeah. you're like 30 and you listen, you're like, ah, ha, ha, ha. Well, yeah, now it seems sad that like when I yeah. hear, when I hear pop, no, like new popular music, like, yeah, like yeah. any, it's, I'm always like, God, I can't believe that you're an adult and you're, these are the words that you thought of, but like kids totally get it. And I guess those people are just stuck in their teens or something, but I don't know. Or they're very crafty. Maybe they're crafty. No, no one's crafty anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Um, all right. So, well, let's, you, you touched on it right then, but, uh, what were your first like early memories of comedy and what, what, what got you into comedy? Well, I would say the Muppet show was probably like the first, first, Mm -hmm. Um, I think I used to watch the Three Stooges with my dad, but I don't think I was really into them. I think I was just watching them to, yeah. I don't know, annoy my mother. <laughs> and then uh, I think so then I would say the first time I saw stand-up was Sam Kinison on HBO with my friend Shauna. I would go to her house mm-hmm. and she'd cable and we'd sneak downstairs and it was his bit about... Um, why don't you go where the food is? You live in the desert. Do you know that one? <laughs> yeah. And I, I'm not saying like, oh, I'm such a fucking genius, but there was something there where I didn't like it because I was like, yeah, stupid Ethiopians. There was something about it that I got that he was kidding mm-hmm. and that it was more complicated than that. Like, I don't yeah. know how, but I feel like I got it. Mm-hmm. And then I was really into Len Sella's Silly Cinemas. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. That, he, was that the dude who like sent things in to bloopers and practical jokes? Yeah, that's what it was. Because yeah. I couldn't remember. What, and he would have this thing where he'd be like a skirt so no one can see up your nose and he put like paper over his <laughs> yeah, nose and yeah. like cut cheese and be like swiss cheese <laughs> it's so dumb and i yeah. loved it yeah that was like before um america's funniest home videos yeah but like like video home video cameras were just becoming a little more affordable yeah and so like on tv's bloopers and practical jokes i guess that guy just sent them his own videos and they they thought it was really funny so they would just play them in between the other stuff he's like the first youtube yeah yeah saying that but, Put that on YouTube, somebody. And I think even in a weird way, bloopers and practical jokes made me get into comedy because I loved how fun <laughs> it looked to like fuck up a take and everyone's yeah, laughing. Yeah. And I think, oh, and Carol Burnett, I watched every time it was on in Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. And if I couldn't watch it, I would go. I would always be the first one in bed because I was young. Like everyone in my family is older than me. Mm-hmm. Um, well, my parents, You have obviously. a sister. How many siblings? Two sisters. And okay. they're both 10 and 14 years older than me. So okay. I was always in bed like trying to listen. They would let me. They would. 
put me to bed, and then they would yell, Mr. Bill, if Mr. Bill was on, and I was allowed to come downstairs for that or something. Listen, And I was allowed to watch Three's Company, like all of it. I was just, I yeah. loved it all. Welcome back, Cotter, all that shit. Well, Three's Company was on in the afternoon, like when yeah. I was, I don't know what age, but like it was syndicated at some point, and yeah. I don't know if that was appropriate for kids. I, don't, I wasn't allowed to watch Soap. Oh, really? But I was allowed to watch Three's Company, and mm-hmm. I think because my mom was a little right-wing back then, and she there was a gay character, mm-hmm. and that was the problem, but she yeah. probably knew I wasn't going to get the innuendo of Three's Company. Right. And it was but, like, it's okay if a guy is pretending to be gay for some apartment situation. Oh, that's right. It's <laughs> even worse. But real he's, gay. <laughs> he's totally being a jerk and doing that thing with his hand. Like, yeah. Woo. Totally playing um, it up. But I think the first time I got into comedy, like, or should I not talk about that yet? No. Yeah, go ahead. Like when I thought like I need to do it, it's burning a burning desire in mm-hmm. front of me was um, when I got into Roseanne mm-hmm. in college. And then I got into later after Roseanne, I got into a, I just read a Joan Rivers biography. And like, even if people think she's a cheese, her biography is so amazing. Mm-hmm. Like she was taping her sets like and walking around in high heels with those big like the size of a suitcase those like reel to reel tape recorders like yeah. she would do that every night in the 60s and she wow. came up with um Cosby, DeCavett, Woody Allen, mm-hmm. Simon and Garfunkel, Bob Dylan like she saw them all bomb she saw them all get famous and move away and she'd been doing it 11 years and was 32 and like working these crappy jobs like just totally not doing well at all and mm-hmm. then it just happened for her on Carson and she had to like get in under a fake name and all this shit yeah. so that story really attracted me and I found some of her old stuff later in life when I went to like Museum of Television and Radio and her shit in the 60s was so good like totally story very alternative and I think it's a little hacky but I think back then when you're a, a gal I just said a gal <laughs> <laughs> but when you're a lady talking about flying around and you're not married and you're in your 30s and yeah. you're on the road I think that must have been pretty crazy yeah definitely so I was so into her when I first started and thought like when I was reading her book I was like what's the problem being 30 something and not making it like sounds very glamorous to me yeah. and now I'm in the same <laughs> boat uh, minus the spot on Carson that I'm going to do that's going to save me and I'm like oh it is terrifying <laughs> so so this was when you were in college yeah like okay. eight like 19 and then oh Anthony Clark I know it's not really my <laughs> style but I would go to the comedy connection and see him uh-huh and just to see anyone do, I think you've, I've heard you talk to other comics about this. Like you get that, you get tricked kind of like mm-hmm. you see someone live and it just blows your mind. Yeah. That's what it was with him. And I was so excited. I took my mother back the next night and I was like, he just improvised his whole set. Like it's so great. <laughs> and then he did the same jokes yeah. and acting just as surprised at each one. And I was like, oh, I felt like someone had cheated on me. My heart <laughs> broke. I was like, he did the same stuff. I don't know why that was devastating. Yeah. I don't get it. Well, but now I think it's you know great. It's like learning, like the it's like seeing how a magic trick works, kind of right. Like yeah, you just realize it's it's uh, because they make it appear seamless, but it's not meant to be viewed over and over again necessarily. Right, right. But there is something more emotional about it with comedy. Like your heart breaks when you're mm-hmm. like, oh, I guess I wasn't special. I don't know. What, I still don't know. But he was a big. So you were connect. Maybe influence. you were just connecting with him, right? I mean, yeah, I was just like, oh, he looks like he's having so much fun. I think yeah. that's what it was. And then when you see him do it again, you go like, oh, he might not be having fun. He right. might not have. Perf- he might have just perfected how to fake fun. And then I- maybe it hurt because it was something I wanted to do for a living. And mm-hmm. so the possibility that maybe it isn't always fun yeah, was maybe yeah. that was a little destroying. Right. Right. So okay, uh, you recently mentioned. I think it was that show, uh, the interruption that Eugene Merman was on. You mentioned yes. that that was the first time you ever did comedy. He was, he encouraged you to get up. What's the story there? <laughs> so ridiculous. I had I had never done it. I was doing improv, and there was some game show audition at the Comedy Connection, which was like the big club in Boston. Right. And um, it would be a host of a game show. Is that the one in Faneuil Hall? Yeah. Okay. So they called they open call stand up comics come in and do two minutes of material, and I somehow wanted to do it. But I didn't have material yet. And I called, I don't know, I think I called the improv. And I was like, I was 21 at the time, but like emotionally, like about 13. Like (laughs) I didn't know how to do anything. And so I called them like, "Um, I want to do the audition, but I don't have jokes. And so like, I'll tell you, like, I really want the job because I work at um, a job that I don't want to work at. And they were just like, "Um, you can just do that on stage. Like, Mm -hmm. that's fine. And so (laughs) I was like, okay. 
So I went down and just did like a neurotic minute monologue about how I don't like where I work. Mm -hmm. And then Eugene was sitting there. And in my mind's eye, in my memory, he looked like Andy Warhol with like a white wig and like an entourage around him, (laughs) which is not true. But that's just how I felt like he was like. And I was leaving and he handed me a flyer. He's like, I do an open mic if you want to do it. And I was like, okay. And so then I he put his number on the back and then I called and I booked a gig. It was like a booked open mic. Mm -hmm. And so it was for the next night or something. And I think I called him at like three in the morning or something. And I was like, uh, I'm a, I don't have material, but I'm a, he was just like, uh, it's fine. Just come down. Like, (laughs) so then I went down with like a, a printout of jokes I'd written Mm -hmm. and I, I was living at home at the time and I typed them up on a word processor and I read them to my mom and she just was like, Oh, Jen, just like (laughs) you're a college graduate. I think one of them was, um, I'm, I, should I say it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I said, uh, one, one of the jokes was I like drinking orange juice after brushing my teeth. That was the joke. <laughs> Just that line. <laughs> so horrible. And then the other one was I'm really feminine. I, something like I pick my nose when my nails are wet and I have to redo my manicure. Like <laughs> this is this shit. It was terrible. <laughs> so I'm driving there with that material and yeah. I, something God saved me. Like I got on stage and I was like, I can't, this is awful. Mm -hmm. So I just sat on a stool and told like a story about how I was a virgin in high school and no one else was. And I don't know why I thought about that or where it came from or Mm -hmm. why I felt like saying it, but I remember shaking and almost wanting to cry and then, um, enjoying it and then not. And then it was over and then I loved it. Yeah. And then he, Eugene was like, can you come back every week and do a story? So that's kind of how it started. Yeah. Where was that show? This great place called the Green Street Grill. Do mm-hmm. you know it? Um, it sounds vaguely familiar. It's like familiar. Cambridge-ish area. Yeah. Inman Square, something like that. Yeah. And it was just a really long bar, and they had a back room, and it was just like everyone who wanted to be any kind of comic was there. It was pretty fun. Yeah. And was was Brendan Small involved in that? Whole... He was there too, but he was in a, ske- <laughs> he was in a sketch group at the time that I won't say. He didn't like it either, but it was just like so funny to think about now. But yeah, he was in a sketch group and then he later started doing stand up. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so he was there and this other guy, Patrick Borelli, that lives in New York and he does he does stuff like with Glazer a lot in New York right. and he writes on cheap seats. He started there too. He actually started during my set. He came up on stage and took the mic away and I was like, oh, hello. And then we became friends. Um, <laughs> so there were, yeah, everyone started like that month. It yeah. was pretty crazy, except Eugene had been doing it. For He majored in comedy in college and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I just did air quotes. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm sorry. I should have said that because they can't see them. But it was an exciting time. Yeah. Um, and this was, you had, you had just graduated from college, right? Like the. I think I'd had a year out of school. Oh, okay. I'd been doing improv for a year before that. Okay. Oh, so you might be, a, you were maybe a couple of years ahead of me. I don't know. What, when did, what year no, did you graduate? No, we're the same age. I'm 96. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. Oh, so this, oh, so you had been, you, you were living at home for a year. And no, well, no, no. I had had a breakup, so I had to move home temporarily. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, actually, no, I moved home because I was going to move to New York. Oh, can I, this is sort of interesting. Yeah. I was a real, um, before that whole Eugene thing, mm-hmm. I had moved to New York right after college. Um, maybe three months after college because I was a real hothead and I wanted to, I was at a party <laughs> and someone handed me this newspaper article at this party in Boston and they went, hey, there's a cool stand-up comedy club in New York uh, that just started called Luna Lounge. It sounds like, um, like experimental stuff. Mm-hmm. And I looked at the article and I was like, well, I'm going to do that. And then so I moved to New York. <laughs> I had never been to New York and I just moved there like a complete douchebag. And I walked into <laughs> Luna, which I didn't realize was just a bar. Yeah. Like, And I was like bugging the bartender, like, how do I get on? And he's like, dude, I don't know, like make a tape. And I'm like, how can I make a tape if I've never done it? <laughs> and he was like, well, then you can't get on if you've never done it. I'm like, but I'm really good. Like, I thought I was, I hadn't done anything. I was so ego. So then I got my ass kicked in terms of just like thinking that. And I yeah. moved home a week later. Mm-hmm. I took my U-Haul and went back to Boston. And then was too afraid to, 
you know, I want to say I was too afraid to try stand-up. I was too much of a dick. Like, I didn't want to start because I wanted to be great right away. Yeah. So just like an asshole, I just didn't do stand-up for a year. And then I moved in with my parents to save money to go to New York again. So okay. I wasn't like a slacker. Gotcha. But sort of was. But you had been doing improv even at Emerson, right? That is true. And I was in a sketch group where we did sketches based only on Edgar Allan Poe works. <laughs> So is that the, was that the group that Cajun was in also? Oh yeah, Burnt Toast. That's yeah. how I knew him. Okay, yeah, that's our mutual friend. That Jen and I didn't know each other in college, but we both knew this guy who I think everybody knew. Yeah, yeah. Um, somehow, this guy Cajun, whose name wasn't Cajun, but yeah. he called himself that, and he showed up. And he, he wasn't Cajun, by the way. No, he, he was Native American. <laughs> yeah. He just one time in the summer just drove to my parents' house. Like he showed up at the door. With like mm-hmm. two weeks worth of duffel bags. I was like, I'm here to stay for a couple of weeks. And my parents were like, is this your boyfriend? I'm like, no. And then my dad was like, how you doing, Paul? He just kept calling him Paul for some reason. And then that was his name to my dad. And then he stayed with me for a while. It was very weird. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's kind of the guy. He, that's that's the kind of guy he was, I guess. Um. And that's not the kind of parents mine are. Mine are like, get this person out of here. But for some reason, he made them be cool suddenly. Yeah. <laughs> he converted them. Yeah, that yeah. was his talent. He could probably some Wiccan Indian <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So, how how long were you doing it in in Boston before you did eventually move back to New York? Right. Yeah, I think I gave it a year and a half, and then I got all hot headed again. And was like, I'm too good for this. Like, I was such a bad person. Oh my god. But yeah, then eventually Eugene got the attention of this guy, Rick, that ran the comedy studio, which is now in Cambridge. Mm -hmm. And it's a great, awesome place to do comedy. And so Rick was like, we'll give you every Friday and Saturday night to do... They had this thing called P.S. Absurdo. And like Eugene and Patrick and stuff would do and run an alternative comedy night. Mm -hmm. So I did that every week. And then um, I met a crazy manager who, like, I was so young, I just thought... This, this is it. I'm going to make it. And mm-hmm. so I just moved to New York. And uh, someone from Aspen had come to Boston and scouted and then let me go to the finals in New York. And I just thought I was such hot shit. So I moved there. <laughs> Not even moved there with any humility, but like, see a suckers, like a total <laughs> asshole. And meanwhile, everyone back in Boston was doing like good shit. Like, mm-hmm. I think Brandon had just got home movies and Eugene was performing a lot. And he started this great newspaper called The Weekly Week. Mm-hmm. which is like the onion, but I think even funnier. And um, everyone was just getting really good and like staying true to who they were. And I was like a spaz, like chasing every <laughs> dream, running around. So yeah, then I moved to New York in like 98, I think. But you ended up doing uh, home movies anyway from there? Or how'd that work? How did that work? Yeah, I actually didn't do it for the first time until I'd already moved there. Mm-hmm. And then I would just fly in and do okay. a thing or two. Yeah. Because I think it was, yeah, because then I only got on it when it got picked up again by Cartoon Network. Okay. So I think at that time, I was already away. Yeah. How was that? Were you excited about that? Was that your first kind of job? That was my first job. I think I could be wrong. Either that or Premium Blend. I think it was. I think it was my first thing. That was kind of, well, yeah, I never know. It was like nerve wracking because the people that like ran it, you know, had to approve it and, mm-hmm. um, it was based on, I had a really raspy voice at the time, like worse than now. Mm-hmm. And um, so it was just the nurse character based on that. And I did some other characters later. But yeah, it was fun because I'd get to fly in. and yeah. and uh, But just one of those things where it was like John Benjamin is such a brilliant guy, but he kept going off script all the time. And yeah. I was like, do I go off script too? <laughs> or will I look stupid? Or am I supposed to? And yeah. I don't know. So it was just one of those things where right. it wasn't exciting till after and I saw it. But during it, I was like, <laughs> So what else were you doing in New York? What were you doing to support yourself? I did everything. I put chocolates in a tin in a basement. <laughs> that was like what? a weird temp job That's I a had. Job? I thought, I don't know. Yeah, I, it was like a weird event planning thing. Okay. I worked um, at an awesome like mutual fund place where I didn't even have a chair. I just stood and filed all day oh my God. and the people like phones would get thrown. Like the big boss would just come out and be like, ah, and throw his phone. <laughs> and I don't even know. I did all kinds of temp work. I worked at Donna Karen for a while mm-hmm. and that was, um, very similar to 
the Devil Wears Prada, except I never oh. had my moment of the gay guy makes you over because the gay guy <laughs> is always so fucking mean. Like, I would come in with coffee and a bagel, and they'd be like, what are you doing? And I'm like, coffee and a bagel in the morning. And they're like, you don't bring in your own. You order it from the deli and make the guy come and bring it to you. And they were like, oh, God. And they were like, why are you wearing socks? Like, that was their big thing. Like, you can't wear socks. They always wore, like loafers with no shoes and they would get their ankles tanned in the winter it was yeah. crazy but anyway so i did that so this was the donna karen like the headquarters not just a store no it was the headquarters okay, yeah okay. um so that was pretty bad and then i did i mean i did everything i did um a real corporate like oh i had a great job where it was like the first incarnation of um like the web on like watching TV on the web. Oh, web they were, TV. Yeah, they were like, it's going to be huge. It's called broadband. And so I did this kind of real world um, show where I went around the country for five months with mm-hmm. three other people. And we like journaled oh, before wow. the blogs. Uh-huh. And then the audience, we'd be like, hey, guys, what should we do today? And they'd be like, drive to New Orleans and have a parade for a dead turtle. So like <laughs> we did that. Like we would drive from wherever we were and we would, they would tell us like where to go around the country. Yeah. So we drove to New Orleans and like hired a marching band and like stopped traffic and went through the street it was weird it was fun That's awesome and the money was great what and what was I, that called funkytalk.com <laughs> it's like the worst <laughs> name there was just these really rich guys and all this money and yeah. i got it because someone i know worked there was on my email list for mm-hmm. comedy mm-hmm. and i guess one time i sent like i never sent out like notices of when i was performing and i did one time and happened to write like a couple paragraphs of maybe something kind of funny. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, you're a good writer. You should work here. It was like so random. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't know that I was in the middle of a very historical time. Like I was like, internet, year 2000. This is going to go real well. <laughs> and then it totally, we just got fired. And um, so after that, I took like a super corporate job. Mm-hmm. And uh, my boss went to college with Conan O'Brien and he would always turn around and go like, isn't that funny? Like you're in New York and there's two guys and one's this comedy show and one is a corporate guy and they work within blocks of each other and you're the comedian and you work for me. And I'm like, that's oh, hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> what a hilarious thing. <laughs> what anyway. A great, what a great story. How about gunshot? Yeah. <laughs> I killed him, not myself. Oh, okay. Because I'm a survivor. <laughs> Much like Destiny's Child. So that's what I was doing. But I mean, I wasn't even doing comedy. I was, I'm telling you, this is a, this is more PSA for the kids. Don't Mm -hmm. be a douche. (laughs) I was just a douche. I was doing nothing. So you weren't performing at that time? I was, but I was doing it in this, like, someone's going to discover me. Like, I don't know what, and anyone who had any kind of, like, ingenuity or, like, I'm going to write a script as well. I was like, like, I was just a jerk. (laughs) Not to their face, maybe, yeah. but just I was just performing at bars that were of no consequence. It helped me get better. I mean, I got really good for a while, and I think I got worse as I got to L.A., but I was getting pretty good for a while. And um, so, you know, I was doing stuff. I'm being a jerk. And then my friend and I started a website called girlcomic.net. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so, yeah, I was doing stuff. I just was one of those people that I thought, like, oh, someone has to ask me to do something before yeah. I do I didn't know. I was a kid. Maybe I feel like I've went through a big phase like that too. Um, maybe Emerson taught us the wrong thing. I think it did. <laughs> or we're just both dumb. But like, <laughs> I, I did come out of there feeling kind of like, all right, come and get me. Like I'm the shit, and you should uh, like. My thought that like people would be banging down my door. Were you for like scripts. a film major? Or yeah, something? yeah. Oh. And I wanted to, you know, be a screenwriter. And I just thought like, well, I've I've written some scripts. Now people will come to me, right? And like I sent them to a couple places, but it was yeah. like, when I didn't hear anything, I'd be like. They're lost. Like, yeah, yeah. And then, like, nothing would happen. Be like, wait, no, it actually was my loss, wasn't it? <laughs> here <laughs> I am. Now I'm sitting here. Tamping. Yeah. But, but well, mm. I think I was an acting major, and, and they didn't clarify, like, this is for the theater only. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and I was so naive and so trusting that I thought, like, wow, I am so lucky to be taking acting from these teachers who must be very successful to be, te- you know, I didn't know they were very bitter and they were just like, kids, you'll never make it. And we were all like, I think that sets you up to be like, yes, I will. Yeah. And then since they're so busy telling you, you'll never make it, they never give you any tools to like survive or yeah. here's how to do anything related to acting, you know? Yeah. I remember like film teachers just being like, just really pompous mm-hmm. and like, I remember this one guy, um, I'm not going to say his name, but like he, uh, his like 
it just out of nowhere he was like talking about something technical like for a second mm-hmm. you know, or i don't know what he was talking about but it was just like a regular class like you know you know and then you're gonna do this and then he's like just out of nowhere he was just like I'll tell you what you do. <laughs> you, you, uh, listen to me. You get the script. You have the envelope. You, uh, you find the producer's house and you throw it over the gate when you know they're sitting by the pool on a Sunday morning drinking their coffee so that they see it. Like, that was his advice was to he people. Serious? He was totally fucking serious. And, like, another time he was like, What if it fell in the pool? <laughs> That's a really good point. I never thought about point. that. Um, what an idiot. But, like, like, even yeah. the, at the time, I was like, You're, if, like, fuck you. Like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It's not constructive. Yeah, exactly. And like, it's sort of bitter. Like, that's the only way it'll get seen. It's like, right. Well, also, I could meet people in a community and get an agent. Like, yeah. it's not ridiculous. Well, and that also made me not want to socialize with the people because, like, that guy had like a following. That that professor, oh. like, people who were really into the film program mm. were like, "He's the man." And like, I was like, I do not want to be near these people. So, but so that blew my whole network for like the school, which is the only thing you get out of it is like a network of people. Oh, that's like with me with the acting teacher. Like, mm-hmm. once you were in, then you had to audition for the second level, and I didn't get in. And she, I went to her office and I was like, okay, so you don't want me to be in the upper levels of acting. Like, is there any resources for comedy? And she was like, comedy is <laughs> depravity or whatever. And then the head <laughs> of acting who would literally sexually molest people when they got in, like I was molested on my audition. Yeah. And he was like, if you were going to be a stand-up comedian, you would have been one by now. All the greats start at age 18 <laughs> and you don't have the gumption to make it in New York or LA and that's where you have to go. So like, just give it up and you're not funny. And he goes, you seem sort of depressed, which now I was like, I guess you're right. But it's like, that's to me. <laughs> Maybe I was depressed because you molested me. <laughs> yeah, I am depressed because you molested me. But also, like, again, how many people that are funny are not depressed? Yeah. There's no effing way. And the ones that aren't are not. But yeah, in my audition, like, I did this terrible monologue from a book called The Actor's Work book of monologues and mm-hmm. i had a james dean complex and i went in wearing a white t-shirt and jeans i was crazy <laughs> and i went in and i sm- i picked a monologue where i was allowed to smoke because uh-huh. i thought that would be really cool yeah. and then he comes up to me and goes great do it again i was a- playing a homeless teenager mm-hmm. and the dialogue was like they don't know where i am who cares or whatever <laughs> and he came up to me and he goes pretend you're that same homeless teenager and i'm a businessman and you want to take me home and have sex with me and just being around an adult who was talking to me that way made me cry. Uh-huh. And then he was like, he did that slow clap and was like, wow, you are an actress. <laughs> and then I got in and oh my parents my and I went to Cheers after to like right. have lunch. And I just felt so dirty. Like I couldn't look at them because I was like, this man just touched my stomach. The uh, people don't know, like the, the theater department at Emerson, I don't know if it still is, but it used to be, it was like it's literally gone. right around the corner from Cheers, like the actual Cheers. Yeah. Which is not called Cheers. It's called, the, but it has a sign that says Yeah, that. it's called the Bull and Finch, but yeah. they had the Cheers. Yeah. Right. And that was like, like, that's <laughs> where we went. We went to college at Cheers, basically, <laughs> yeah, because yeah. like the campus was kind of all around there and the, like the tour buses would go by like yeah. every 45 minutes and <laughs> <laughs> like you could hear the like, Cheers, just Cheers on your way. <laughs> Uh, I just did an Andy Kindler uh, that <laughs> was airplane good. bit. But, uh, sorry, Andy. Um, uh, yeah, okay. So, sorry. Wow, we got kind of off track there. Know, just reminiscing me. about college, which is a terrible thing to do in any context. <laughs> but Never I think mind. it helped. I think it helped. Yeah, I'm, I feel better about it now. I'm just working through all that stuff. Uh, you don't, you don't, so, so that was the. That that was the molestation that guy saying that to you. Well, then he did this thing where he touched my diaphragm, oh, but right, who knows right. if that was my diaphragm? <laughs> not my diaphragm, like this the thing you use to not get pregnant, right. but like the one in your body, the thing you breathe from. So yeah, but it was just like I think you're also just touching my stomach in a right. weird way. So right. I think it was that was the molesty thing, <laughs> and like her, oh, oh t- putting my hair behind my ears and rubbing my face. Jesus Ugh. Christ! Ugh. Yeah. Now I kind Michael of... Nash was his name. <laughs> wow, no, because all go. the girls okay. signed a thing, and he got he was going to get tenure, and then he got fired. Wow, because he molested everybody, okay. some more than others. <laughs> Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, I just I suddenly realized that's why we probably didn't because like I didn't know anybody in the theater. I knew some people who were like tech theater tech like that, that was a major too i think like people who oh, just had yeah. a fanny pack stage crew yeah yeah well they kept the acting majors away from the film and tv people for Smart. no reason yeah. <laughs> it's like we they don't need like- each other do they <laughs> not at all There's no reason so yeah that's why 
Um, all right, let's get back to the chronology though of, of Jen Kirkman. Uh, so what, when did you move to LA? What, what, and, and what uh, prompted that? Well, it might have been, well, uh, I moved, I always wanted to come here because I felt like I wanted to be here. Mm-hmm. And, um, I came here once to do premium blend. It was back when it was still filmed out here and I really liked it out here. And then, um, kept thinking like, I got to go back to LA, but I need a reason. And then I got on the last episode of late Friday. Do you remember that show? Yeah, yeah. And so when I came out here to do it, I just, I never left mm-hmm. like, and I kind of knew I was going to do that. Mm-hmm. So that was really it. I didn't move here for that stupid spot, but it was like nine 11 had just happened and I was in New York and I just have to clarify, I was not scared. It was just, it's a life-changing thing when (laughs) you go like, oh, I could die at any minute, so why am I doing anything other than what I want to do? So I quit my corporate job. I had money saved up, and I decided to move like to L.A. a few months later. But people get sensitive when I tell them that. They're like, oh, were you scared? It's like, (laughs) no, I wasn't. Like, it was, you know, surreal and weird, but I felt, just I think when you're in the middle of something like that and you're alive, you just go like, well... I'm fine, probably. And then I would take yeah. the subway every day, and there'd be like anthrax threats, and it was like mm-hmm. that got a little unnerving. But right. I, ne- I don't know how to explain. It. I'm scared of everything, but I really wasn't scared then. But yeah. so I think that's why I moved here, and then I stayed out here, and um, that was it. What was the premium blend experience? I remember. I think you posted about this once uh, <laughs> on the board. How you just you felt like you really weren't ready, and it was yeah. Kinda... It's funny when people say to me now, like, "Oh, that person's doing pretty." I've had a few people recently be like, "Yeah, like." I don't know, I'm making up a name, like, Tony Jones is doing pretty well. He just got premium blend, and I cringe. Like, Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean you're doing well. It doesn't mean you're doing badly, but (laughs) I'm just saying, like, maybe I'm cringing because it does, it is a good opportunity, and I squandered it. But, yeah, I can't, (laughs) I had this joke about um, a Carvel ice cream commercial, which I know someone later told me that Patton has one, about Cookie Puss or something. Right, right. But mine was about this kid that's dressed up like a fire hydrant, Mm -hmm. and, um, I don't, I just did it. And someone from comedy central saw it and was like, I think that's probably why they booked me. They were like, Hey, that's totally strong. And mm-hmm. so can you do premium blend? And I was like, yeah, but I didn't realize that they wanted me to do probably the bit they saw me do that night. Yeah. So I flew out to LA and that was the last episode that was filmed in LA. Mm-hmm. And I got out here and I didn't have a manager or anything. And all these comics had been talking to me like, Hey, they're going to chop up your set and they're going to edit it. And, and you're not going to be happy with how it turns out. They're going to fuck it up. So I thought they were saying, like, so you better edit for them in the way that you do your jokes. Right. So I did the shortest jokes possible, which is just not my style. Mm-hmm. And um, to the point where there was no way they could edit it. So I'd be like, set a punchline. like Just like that. I didn't do any of the stuff that, like, I got called in to do. And nobody was advising me. And it was just like – an auditorium it was like hundreds of people, but they were all UCLA students, which I thought would be great, but they mm-hmm. were freshmen and it was September. So it's basically like 17, 18 year olds who yeah. don't have like a lick of life experience. So if you're talking about anything other than like something that can get them whooped up right. or, you know, Video they're games. just like, yeah, they're just like, uh, and they weren't that. And I hadn't learned the skill yet of like how to talk to people who might not know what I'm experiencing, but mm-hmm. make it relatable. I wasn't that, you know, experienced yet. So mm-hmm. that's partly my fault. But yeah, it was just like, I don't remember much. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I got one or two laughs. And then for the most part, it was pretty deafening silence. And just that awkwardness after of seeing everyone in the tent and celebrating and drinking and people coming up to me like, hey, and then I just couldn't stand the awkwardness. And I was like, I know I was terrible. I'm sorry. I bombed. And then like people taking me aside later, like never tell the industry you bombed. Like they're stupid. They might not know you did. And, but when someone comes up to you and the first thing they say is, don't worry, we'll sweeten it. Like, yeah, that's what, you know, sweeten meaning add laughs. But, uh, yeah, so that was and sugar, (laughs) but then I met, um, I started working. I don't work with her anymore, but at that point I'd met, uh, a manager I started working with, like she Mm -hmm. was at the show and, Thank God for managers and their kind of ability to see through, you know, yeah. they don't always judge it on how many laughs you get. She right. was like, there's something there, kid. So <laughs> I started working with someone and that, that, that went okay. Cool. It was pretty good. So then you were, but you met, went back to New York and you were still kind of doing the corporate thing. Yeah. Doing the corporate thing, doing a ton of shows, doing a lot more writing. I started writing short stories. I just didn't know what to do with them Yeah, and performing. And I forget what else I was doing, 
more voiceover stuff, more home movie stuff, and some stuff for like little networks here and there. And mm-hmm. that was pretty much it. I was really just like spinning my wheels. Um, I want to drinking. Sw- <laughs> I want to switch <laughs> gears. Oh, okay. Um, I want to talk a little bit about. You mentioned you were writing short stories, yeah. and that's kind of like your act now is is sort of like you you sort of perform short stories. Uh, for the most part, yeah, right? I mean, you have right. shorter stuff and longer stuff, maybe. Yeah. But, um, has it always been like that, or did it evolve out of when you started to write, or how did that work? Have I always done short like in your in your stand up? Yeah. Um, I think it started that way. I think I was very lucky when I first started. I had like a very um, instinctive spirit guide or whatever something <laughs> telling me like that moment I got on that stool right, and right. was like, "Tell a story. Don't do this crappy joke you wrote." And I squandered that immediately when I moved to New York because when you get to New York, it's a little more backstabby. Mm-hmm. And people would just come up to me and say, like, you know, if there was a bit, there was always like one thing happening at a time and everyone was competing for it. So if it was like, hey, Conan's looking for um, a stand up for his show or whatever, we'd mm-hmm. all go to the auditions and people would go, like, well, that's weird that you're here because you do more stories, but like really like cutting, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. not cool. Yeah. Um, and I would be like, oh shit. And so then I would just, so I did it against my natural rhythm for like maybe five or six years. Mm-hmm. So then when I moved here, um, I was like, well, I'll do my stand up, like my short jokes. Cause every manager I've ever had and I've gone through a lot is always like, just do, um, your five minute jokey jokes. Like talk about your mom or your th- thoughts and opinions, but do it in two sentences and then people will like you and then you'll get a thing and then you can show them who you are. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, that sounds good. Like just bought into <laughs> it. And so then, but so I thought of short story writing and one woman show doing as a separate thing. Yeah. And then it was literally like, I couldn't stand it anymore. And last summer I had like a, like a break, like just like a, like my brain exploded mm-hmm. after going on a, like a million stand up auditions and just eating it every time. I lost my mind and didn't do any stand up for like three or four months last year and mm-hmm. just did my one woman show and was like, well, I guess this is what I do. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until they invited me to do monologues at ASCAT that I was like, oh, this is how I can do, this is how yeah. I can reapproach stand up. Yeah, yeah. And it's very similar to how I started and I'm comfortable with improvising. So, blah. So that's right. how it happened. But I think writing the short stories helped too. Mm-hmm. And, Writing those, I realize like it's all in the detail. But same with monologues; it's mm-hmm. just details. It right. doesn't have to be right. like. I mean, I'm just not a good joke writer, so it doesn't have to. Well, I whatever. Who knows what the definition <laughs> is? But you know, I'm not good with that. Like da 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 da. Set up the switch yeah. and do that. Like yeah. I'm not good at that. But it's maybe it's just more organic, or it feels more organic for you to just tell a story and and then find the humor along the way. Yeah, I think it's always in my thought. Yeah, I feel like there, there are definitely moments in your stories that are like that's the that's a punchline basically you know and and you definitely come back to it like you know if i if i've seen you do something more than once it's you don't just leave that part out it's not like oh it it doesn't matter like you definitely know what the funny things are so it's like but it's you're just feeling like maybe it's it makes it feels more comfortable to tell it yeah and i feel so pretentious because i've i had to start labeling myself just to be like a fucking you know my own marketing guru but Mm -hmm. like now i just say i do stories so there's no confusion Mm -hmm. because even when i was doing straight stand-up people would call it stories and i'm like i don't get what is a story about saying (laughs) my mother told me this and then i said that like that's how long but i think because it's autobiographical people Mm -hmm. get i don't know but I never want people to think that I'm doing a thing like, well, it's five minutes long and then the laugh is at the last right, second right. and it better be huge. Like I try to make it funny all the way through and mm-hmm. usually there is no ending. So, <laughs> <laughs> But I think that's the thing that confuses me is I feel like, I mean, I got so neurotic at one time. I would fucking clock other people's punchlines and clock my own and be like, it's the same amount of punchlines, <laughs> just that I'm not changing the topic. Right, no one right. cared for that mathematical. <laughs> Literally show up in people's offices like, you tell me. I'm... <laughs> like Dat Fan with like a graph of like <laughs> three seconds, eight seconds. <laughs> Sorry. I almost spit my coffee. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, <laughs> but anyway, that's uh, that's my process. <laughs> I like it. So you 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 mentioned in passing your one woman show, Dork Days, um, which you you haven't done in a in a while. Are you gonna are you gonna revisit that? Or are you it's doing a new back, one? Coming back, baby. Oh, okay. 
Um, I basically, in the midst of all this, uh, published a short story online mm-hmm. that got the attention of this literary agent that, mm-hmm. weirdly enough, I wanted to kind of work with anyway, or mm-hmm. at least that agency. And it was a short story about taking an acting class when I was 11 and thinking I was going to get famous because I wanted to get away from my parents' bad marriage and move to Hollywood. <laughs> and that was around the same time that my mom told me that the apocalypse was going to happen. And so I was like, well, I have to like beat this and I have to get famous before the apocalypse. Mm-hmm. And so that was what the essay was about, except the apocalypse stuff. It was just about how bad the acting class was and how disappointed <laughs> I was when I didn't get famous. Mm-hmm. So this lit agent finds me, calls me, and is like, can you develop a novel around this character? I love it. And she was like, tell me any details that you can about your life at this time. So I told her everything mm-hmm. that I've always been told was too dark for stand up or no one cares or mm-hmm. why should we care about your childhood? Who are you now? Do you have a wacky neighbor? You know? <laughs> and then she was like, that is all perfect. That has to be in the book. So write it and yeah. let's go. So I'm writing it and I'm noticing how well it goes as a one woman show. So mm-hmm. I've changed dork days a little. It's now called cameo kid. And, um, <laughs> cause that was the name of the acting school I went to. Oh, wow. And, uh, so it's basically going to be similar. Uh, there's still going to be this, there's a part in dork days where I'm in the school talent show. So that part's right. still in there, but the rest has changed where it's like the race to beat Armageddon. I go to this class that doesn't work out. Then I do the talent show that doesn't work mm-hmm. out. And then the little ending. Cool. So you're writing that. As <laughs> now you don't have to see it. Still do it <laughs> uh, well, that's not why. No, you I'm see writing it. that in tangent with the book. So the show's written. I'm going to do it at UCB end of September. Cool. And then probably do it again in October at the workspace or something. So, at, in terms of the book, though, it's not, right now it's just at the stage where this agent is like, write it, and then we'll take it out. Is that what's happening? Mm-hmm. Cool. That's awesome. There's no like. Hey, book deal time, which I, of course, I'm always an asshole first before I'm anything else. And so I'm like, cool money. Like, here we go. And she was like, no, you write it. You've never written anything. Like I could be terrible, you know? So I have to write it and then we'll work together. She's also a writer and an editor. So she can, she's going to be my editor and then we'll try to sell it when I'm done with it. That's awesome. It's so hard. But I do know people who've gotten deals first. Uh There is a, there is a whole school of that going around too, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, what really? I haven't heard. (laughs) I just have a friend in New York who just wrote a book and, um, she got it because someone at a publishing house was like, we have decided there's going to be a book about this and you fit the type and will you write it? But they've done other writing that these people saw and said, okay, you're, they knew her stand up, and it was sort of like a funny dating book about like how to tell if this guy is a keeper. Mm -hmm. And, um, so it's really similar to her stand up material. So that's Mm -hmm. why they liked her. And Got so it. she wrote it, but actually we never talked details. I assume, I think they paid her a little upfront and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But you're, but what you're writing is not, it's, it's fiction, right? It's well, it's, it's sort of, it's, blurred. I don't know how anyone writes a memoir. Like when I read it and they're like, and then my left toe hurt. I'm like, you don't really <laughs> remember that. Do you? You were eight. So it's called like based on a true story. It's, uh-huh. it's supposed to be a real memoir, Okay. but it's, it's going to be a little exaggerated. Yeah, not yeah. the things that happened, but like. I'm kind of crunching time to make it seem like it all happened in one mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. Cool. Wow. That's awesome. That's really great. I know. It's all I want to do besides um, zoom, <laughs> zoom, 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 zoom. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I think you should just shake your rump in that case. <laughs> um, all right. Before we wrap it up, really, I think other than all the people saying you got uh, we want to hear Jen Kirkman on AST radio the reason you're here <laughs> is oh this is the to, reason to respond to the Paul F <laughs> Tompkins commentary of 2 weeks ago or whenever that was well what okay you tell me what you think well i, do, uh, I should respond well like, this is awkward because i also he said oh you know jen uh i don't now i'm even blanking on the details but basically he was like uh you know, Jen acts like she needs to be protected or, or, or Jen, I feel like Jen needs to be pr- protected. And then yes. I sort of said, yeah, I kind of get that too. Oh, right. And yeah. then, <laughs> and then we were emailing and you, you were like, that's, uh, thank you, but that's kind of, <laughs> don't worry about it, <laughs> which was, uh, and then I felt really stupid. And then, uh, Oh, you did? Oh, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, okay. Not really. But, but you know now what I, I mean? To, like, now who's protecting whom? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but, but basically the, the, 
I think the crux of the of what he was commenting on uh-huh. is your fear of flying. Yes. And uh, he made the assertion that you've talked about it more than you've actually been afraid of flying and that you should have talked yourself out of being afraid at yes. this point. Yes, I love that logic. Cause... <laughs> your response, please, well, Ms. Kirkman. Ms. Kirkman. I know he was just trying to be funny, so I don't really care what he says, but... I, I does bring up something interesting, which I know he didn't mean to make me crazy about, <laughs> because I would never be insulted that that's his opinion or if he's sick of me talking about fear of flying, like mm-hmm. that's totally legit. But the only thing that made me go like, oh shit, I hope this isn't true, is I feel like when I talk about my fears on stage, you know, there's certain people who are living out, like that's their therapy. Mm-hmm. And like, I am on top of this fucking fear. Like I've been dealing with it since I was eight. Mm-hmm. It's not just literally fear of flying. It's like OCD and panic disorder and all these weird things that just I'm going to be dealing with for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. But I feel like I have enough of a grasp on it that like I'm recalling it for humorous effect on stage. And I'm hoping that I don't seem broken and like scared. And well, I don't think it would be really be funny if you were like, well, I'm hoping. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think people would be like, (laughs) oh, because I've seen, you know, people, especially when they're first starting out or you go to any open mic and there's someone having an emotional breakdown and you're like, (laughs) well, maybe you should go through that thing first. But it's like one of those things, like, I remember, I don't know, you go to therapy or something, you quit drinking, you do something and you go like, oh, am I going to still be funny? And the thing is, like, you'll never forget what made you crazy. Mm -hmm. And now you are in control of it (laughs) and call it up on your own, you know? Did you have that fear? Oh, my God, if I'm not afraid of flying, will I still be funny? (laughs) No, I never had that. But I remember talking in therapy, like, I never thought if I'm crazy, it won't be funny. But she assumed that, Mm -hmm. I think, and was like, hey, if you're worried about this, like, here's what I tell all the performers but uh but i mean there so yeah in in that way that made me paranoid like because you know his instinct is maybe right i do get emails from people that are like trying to help Mm -hmm. and i'm like oh god the level at which they're trying to help is so elementary in a way like (laughs) i read a book on a plane and i'm like my god do i come (laughs) off that stupid that like i don't think to distract myself well you might not be well sometimes you might not be fully explaining the extent of the of the fear because like if you just mentioned in passing they might be like well i have a trick (laughs) yeah right and i'm always like it's like this is a lifelong thing and whatever well when i say like i'm afraid god's gonna suck me out of the plane because he thinks i'm a bad person like i'm joking but not really right it's more like one of those things where i'm fine with flying i fly a lot and then mm-hmm. I call people and they go, well, has it ever happened before? And then I go, that doesn't help because I think like, oh, must have been my worrying about it that made everything fine before. So, mm-hmm. But for Paul, I don't know if he, if he might be personally put out. <laughs> I didn't know this. I think he was just being having but, uh, fun with you. But It was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, boy. <laughs> Mission accomplished on that <laughs> front. No, it's fine. But that's my rebuttal is... Um, he does. If anyone feels that they need to protect me, you can't. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. No arms are that big. <laughs> no arms are that big. But also, you know, we're all doomed. <laughs> so just protect yourself. Right. Protect me by laughing at me. Yeah, okay, that's a good answer. Yeah, I, think I like that's that. That's a great answer. But what he said something else too that I need to rebut. What about the sharks? I'm not afraid of sharks. I know, oh, he is. I wish I had engaged him more about that. I didn't know he had a bit about sharks. Yeah, he kind of slipped into it in that uh, performance. Um, yeah, I didn't know he had that. I mean, the fear of sharks is a little more legit because if you get on a plane, it's not necessarily going to crash. But if you get near a shark, it's probably going to attack you. Yeah. But I think it's not going to, he's not going to really be near one. Yeah. It's like a luxury fear, I think. <laughs> well, you can avoid them. That's you the, can avoid them. It's not hard to avoid sharks. Well, you know, with a career like mine, I can't avoid flying. I got to be places. <laughs> yeah, well, this crazy but modern But I, sa- I feel like I don't have a fear of sharks. I love boats. Mm-hmm. I love being in the middle of the ocean. And I feel like I just instinctively feel... Well, I don't know. I feel like if a boat was sinking and people were like, sharks are circling, I would be less scared of the shark biting me than I would of drowning. Mm-hmm. But then I think of that movie Open Water where they were just sitting right. there waiting. No, that's, that's not cool. horrible, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like, they, you always hear, well, sharks don't really want to, they don't like to eat people. They right. either do it by accident or they're crazy. Surfboard. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They think it's a seal. Like, as if you're on your <laughs> surfboard, you look like a seal from underneath or something. But, but Or... They're crazy or they've, they're hungry. I don't know what the other explanations yeah. are, but it's, 
supposedly they rare. PMS. <laughs> uh, or if they see the blood, they just can't help it. I don't right. know. Um, if you're bleeding, I don't know. I don't well, if a lady at her period, then, and then on a cruise yeah. ship, and then it sinks, <laughs> right. you're fucked. That's a lot of things that have to happen. <laughs> <laughs> don't go on a cruise if you're... Don't on your period, right. go on a cruise. <laughs> All right, so we've we've wiped that off the the chart for <laughs> things that could go wrong. So all is well between everybody, I think. Yeah. Paul thinks I'm mad at him because he I he mentioned it <laughs> like that I've mentioned it a lot because uh-huh. I put it on the boards and then I put uh, okay. But I was mad that you guys thought I waited in that fucking Morrissey line. I'm not. <laughs> that, I'm that was the other thing. Cooler right? than that. Yeah. Okay. Well, but I didn't know if you were cooler than that when you were 18. I know. I'm kidding. I love that you're like, no, no, you're cool. No, no. I, w- I just knew a friend that worked at Tower Records and okay. I was like, can you sneak me in? Yeah. And it was a big ordeal and it was a pain in the ass for him, but I got in. I think I only remember it because I walked by and saw and with my, with Elise, mm-hmm. who, that my then girlfriend, now wife, and saw her ex-boyfriend who was <gasps> waiting in line. And I think that's why it sticks in my head because there was like a ex-boyfriend, nice. but he was there. He was like sitting, you know, that like bridge that goes over the yeah. like, Mass Pike on on Mass Ave. Uh, that's how far back he was in the line. So you're much cooler than that dude. Did you get into the Smiths because you were like, oh, her ex liked them, and I have to, <laughs> I have to. Wow. Maybe. Maybe that's why. No, I think it was simpler. I think it was just that she was into them, and I was like, I should like what she likes. Oh, okay. Uh, I saw a lot of good stuff in Boston when I lived there. I used to see Crispin Glover do mm-hmm. live stuff, and I saw Hole and Jay Maskus and Sonic Youth, and all in small little clubs. It was fun. Yeah, there were some good... Uh, I saw the BC Boys at a small club on Lansdowne. Oh, wow. That was like before Check Your Head mm-hmm. had gotten really big. They did a small club tour um, nice. to kind of get going. And uh, that was awesome. That was really awesome. That was when I was in high school, though. Sorry, we're. I now wasn't we're... <laughs> allowed to go out in high school. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, I don't know. I think that's it. I think. Yeah, we're... I feel like there's something I want to say to everyone. Yeah, Thanks. well, this is a chance. <laughs> there's <laughs> you... nothing to say. There's nothing to say. Don't we have to do the listener of the week or something? Uh, oh, I, don't I'm, do that I'm not really doing oh, okay. that anymore. Although, oh, okay. if you'd like to no. bring it back one week only, if you have somebody in mind, uh, I don't. I like everybody. Okay. There isn't somebody who you've been especially like, that's a great... Yeah, but I don't want to say it. There's people I'm afraid of that I'm like, I'm a, this <laughs> well, definitely person don't scares say that. me. No, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> um, but no, I like everybody. Okay, cool. All right, well, then everybody's the member of the week this Everyone's week. a member of the week, and I'm sorry I had that thread shut down about ladies not being funny. <laughs> Wow, we could have a whole second hour about that, but we're not Here going. we go. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Um, it's a complicated issue, you guys, but I think we, I think we, covered. why do you say you guys in that? Uh, you... <laughs> just, oh no. just kidding. We're going in, <laughs> we're going down. It's, oh, it's coming back to the plane thing now. Cause I felt like we were, go- we were on you a plane like that we was crashing. crashing? Yeah. Why don't you ask the people on flight 97 and see if they think it. 93. Oh, well, there's another one. <laughs> oh no. What if, oh, oh no, I just predicted something. What if it happened? It's like that new show on NBC. <laughs> Which, which is the sponsor? Can Imagine Psycho if that was, Girl predicts oh, be, a plane. What show is that? Uh, no, the uh, Heroes, and the one it's about like real life people with superpowers. Oh, and this one guy like paints this crazy painting of a bus on fire, and then the the newspaper the next day has the picture. Would but, I be a hero then, in a weird way, or is someone else you a could hero? Do it if you could keep doing that, yeah, and, and maybe somehow prevent it. But that's my question about things like that. Always with the sort of um, what yeah. Is, why don't you do something is that about the, it? What's that? What's the Greek myth about the woman who can predict things? <laughs> Damn it! Oh, now I'm gonna be dumb. I don't know. <laughs> I'm even more dumb. I don't even. Uh, it. No, it's like uh, Cassandra, the uh, Cassandra complex. Like when people, it's it, it, this Cassandra had uh, premonitions, mm-hmm. but no one would believe her. Oh, and so then it would happen. But my thing was always like, but if you if she if they, if they believed her and then stopped it, then she wouldn't have that power anymore because they'd just be like, oh, she didn't know what she was talking about. We stopped. Right. It. No one would believe anyone anyway. They'd be like, you're yeah. a heretic and they'd burn you or something. <laughs> All right. So I'll probably get stoned so you're for safe. my flight 97. Not stoned on drugs. <laughs> but uh, yeah, flight 97. Everyone check your tickets. Don't oh, get on. God. Don't get on. Someone's gonna post about this. It, that now that's my secret thing. Is like if if the board were popular <laughs> enough that somebody was gonna be on a flight ninety seven. I think it'll get popular after this podcast. I, don't, I think I have okay. a sleeper cell of fans out there. Okay, cool. All right, good. <laughs> Let's take it to the max. <laughs> I don't know that. Uh, I don't either. 
But thanks for being with us. Oh, thanks for being with me. I'll come <laughs> back sometime and cool. tell you. Well, yeah. I mean, when your when when your book comes out, we'll have you back. When my book comes out, uh, that'll be awesome. Um, and then we'll say, remember when you talked about it? <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll read the whole thing. Like yeah. Andy <laughs> All right, gang. Cool. Thanks for thanks again, and uh, until next time, everybody. We'll see you on the board. <laughs>